This is Secrets of the Most Productive People, a productivity podcast where we work smarter instead of harder and dissect exactly how to get it all done. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. And I'm Fast Company Assistant Editor, Anissa Purbasari Horton. This week, we're talking about salary negotiation. So Kate, when you started your first job, did you negotiate your salary? You know the answer to this. No, (laughs) no, I did not. I'm like the cautionary tale of what not to do. I don't really know why I didn't know other than like you're never taught this sort of thing. Yeah. I had no clue that you even could. And I think, you know, like a lot of people in their dream fields, I was just so grateful to get a job offer that anytime the salary was offered, I'd say, okay, thank you. And it wasn't actually until um, my last job before Fast Company when I started kind of covering this work-life topic a lot and covering salary negotiations, I was like, oh, you're supposed to do that. Surprisingly, the first salary I ever negotiated was at this exact job. Well, that's very apt. And I feel like you shouldn't be so hard on yourself because I feel (laughs) like a lot of people feel that way. I also didn't negotiate, but I think I started my career, this was before in journalism, you know, as a lawyer in New Zealand, and the climate was slightly different. Like I think there's not the expectation of negotiating your salary when you're out of college. Like it wasn't like it is here when I feel like literally if you Google salary negotiation, every advice say, do it, do it, don't forget to negotiate your salary because you're leaving money on the table. So I remembered when I was reading that I made a conscious decision that for every job after that, I was going to negotiate, even if it was just a little bit, because there's always a little room to ask for more. You learned much more quickly than I did. Well, I guess I learned in my second career. Yes, yes. (laughs) You should definitely negotiate at every step of the way, even your very first job. But it is feasible that the answer is no and you still don't get any more money and whatever. Like, and sometimes there isn't any wiggle room. That's true. But a lot of times there is. And I always say about negotiation at any level, the worst they can say is no. Exactly. (laughs) Like if a company has offered you a job, as long as you do it respectfully, they're not going to rescind rescind the job offer if you ask for more money. Literally every recruiter I've talked to expects that you will ask for more. The first and biggest hurdle to overcome is getting comfortable having an uncomfortable conversation about money. Unfortunately, I think people view it and maybe it's the word itself of like negotiation is like you're too opposing forces and like you're both trying to get your way. But I think if you think about it, instead of like, they're trying to screw me over and I'm trying to get the most that I can possibly get. If you stop thinking about it as like an adversarial relationship and approach it in a, we want to reach a common goal. Like yeah. what's what's most fair for both of us? Like yeah. what will work for both of us? Um, just even having that approach so you're not kind of defensive when you're asking for something like that's that's nowhere near enough money or like, you know, that's a really insulting offer or, or um, like, I know so-and-so gets paid more, you know, like in, in a defensive mode, if it's like, how can we figure this out together? Yeah. You know, you are likely to have a better result or at least just a less uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. And I think especially for college graduates, there is that, I feel like there is that narrative that gets kind of pushed down in terms of, you know, oh, you should be grateful to have a job and the power dynamic is a lot more, I guess, scary when you are starting your career. So they're more likely to think about it that way. But another thing, and you know, this might be kind of a very mechanical way to think about it, is it is a market transaction, right? Mm-hmm. You are selling your services in exchange for compensation. So it's a mutually beneficial arrangement for the company and for you. 
And rather than thinking it as a negotiation, you were just getting you if you're thinking about it in terms of getting at a level where you're both happy, then that might also help you see it as not an adversarial thing. You touched on something that's like one of the biggest myths that maybe we should just start off by busting it, which is you can't negotiate your salary when you're just starting out. When you just left college and you have no experience, you have no leverage, you have to take what they offer you, you can't negotiate. That is false. That is so false. And sometimes companies will tell you that, but it's a game. And that really annoys me that they still do it. If you're just just starting out, you just graduated from college and you got a job offer, what, why, how can you think to yourself, like, I deserve more money? Like, what are the different ways to frame it? I think that some are maybe talking about what other unique skills you bring. So mm-hmm. you, you certainly don't, you can't say, well, like, look at my resume, look at all yeah. of the, you know, the past, you know, companies I've worked for. You don't have that. But you can say, like, for example, I know when when I hired you, Mm -hmm. you didn't have a ton of journalism experience, Mm -hmm. but you were very passionate about the subject area. Yeah. And so that was a unique skill that you brought, a unique knowledge base that you had. And so like leveraging something like that, like I'm the best candidate, you know, for these reasons. And you don't even have to say you're the best candidate because you've been offered the job. But like know to yourself or list to yourself the reasons why they offered you the job and then use those reasons to help be your leverage yeah i know that sometimes people are reluctant to talk about their part-time work or their volunteer experience but sometimes if you can figure out how it's directly relevant to your current job then that can help as well so say like you know maybe you spent a summer working at a nonprofit, helping them with fundraising and you it might seem like oh i was just helping them sell like brownies that's like you know that's surely not relevant and you're not going for a sales and marketing role. Well, that is very relevant because you're learning to, you're interacting with people at maybe different aspects of life and, you know, you're learning to build relationships with them and that because you spent like four summers doing that, you got very comfortable with presenting and the act of selling. Thinking about those specific experiences could also help you in your negotiation. When we're talking about just being a recent college grad, a lot of places now are really looking for digital natives yeah. and Gen Z and the people who like get the things that they don't get. Yes. And that's a, that's a skill that you can leverage or a special knowledge that you can leverage in the salary negotiations. But I think we should also talk about the things you should not say in yes. salary negotiations, yes. <laughs> um, which are really easy traps to fall into. So yeah. um, the number one thing to not say, I think, which took me a while to learn as well, just in, you know, before before I even got to my first salary negotiation in like the coverage of it was to not bring up any personal reason why you need the money. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not about why you need the money. It's about why the job that you're being hired to do is worth X amount of money. Exactly. So your living situation, your rent, your mortgage, your family situation all of the things that you cannot afford because they're not paying you enough are not relevant to it because you're not making the case for what you're doing for them and your importance to the role. Yeah, exactly. You should think about it in terms of like, okay, what can I offer that would that would make it worth for the company to pay me more? And I think the way that I feel like is worth framing as well is that if you're also uncomfortable asking for stuff, I find that when I see when I think about it in terms of, okay, to get me to the salary, I can then help the company further their goals of X, Y, Z, 
that's also a better way of I feel like framing it if you're not un- if you hate asking for things, which I know a lot of people are. There's two parts of two times that salary negotiation will come up in your career, and that's uh, the initial salary negotiation, which we've been talking about, and the asking for a raise. Yeah, and for the asking for the raise, a lot of the a lot of the same rules apply, especially when you talk about what value you're bringing. So yeah. there, you're not like I've been here for this many years, keeping my head down, doing what my job description is, so give me a raise. But as far as a merit-based raise, that means that you did something above and beyond your job to deserve a merit-based raise. So it wasn't just you were performing your job as described. You went above and beyond. And so in that salary negotiation, you want to show especially the monetary value that you've brought to the company. So have you increased revenue have you increased, you know, in a field like ours, have you increased traffic or page views? Mm-hmm. Have you, you know, what have you made new projects? Have you worked across teams? What have you done that wasn't expected of you? How are you excelling? And how will you continue to excel if they give you that raise? And the underlying like messages, and if you don't, then you might lose me, you know? Well, there's also asking for a promotion, which might be slightly different, but sometimes if a raise meant a title change, um, you should look at what the person who is above you is doing and figure out how you can be doing their job at your current level. Sometimes that is what it takes to get a promotion is for the company to see that you're already performing at a level above what you are. And then that's when they realize, you know, once you've kind of presented all the evidence, the results and the fact that your day to day activities and responsibilities is literally of a role that's above you then, you know, it's um, it's much easier to convince the company to give you that raise or that promotion. You brought up a good point about what other people are doing and what other people are making, because that's um, that's one of the the potential minefields, I think, that people can step in and the like what not to say yeah. <laughs> is, I know Anissa is making this amount of money, yeah. so I should make this amount of money. Like what other people make, even though it can be so infuriating to find it out, you know, that if somebody at your same level or a level below you is making more money than you, it's not there. There's always going to be a a long list of excuses as to why they went to a different. They have a different education. They had different experience. They came in at a time when we had bigger budgets. They, you know, whatever. That's not going to get you what you want. And it's just going to make you look like you're petty petty and you're just keeping score and again it frames it as like give this to me because i want it not yeah here's why i deserve it and here's what value i'm bringing yeah i will say there is a way to bring that up without sounding petty and you know this is something that i know a lot of negotiators and experts have told me you can frame it as a question and without going into specific you can say something like i understand that the The market salary or the average the range for this role is say it's between 60 to 70,000 and mm-hmm. you're getting paid 55. And then you could frame it as a question is like, can you help me figure out what it would take for me to get in that range? You kind of are putting the onus on the management in that situation to justify why they're paying you less than you deserve rather than complaining about it. Yeah. And then if you ask specifically, like, what can I do to get to that level? then that opens the conversations for you to, for them to come up with a list of, you know, 
maybe deliverables that you have to meet. And then you have a reason to meet again in six months or a year or whatever it is you agreed on and be like, okay, let's go back and meet. And, mm-hmm. you know, you even said if, I need to do these yeah, things. Exactly. See, I documented how I did all of these things. Yeah, like exactly. there's no backing out of that. Then. No, it's like we yeah. both agreed to this. Yeah. yeah. And if they still say no and make up excuses, then that might be a reason to start looking elsewhere. <laughs> I know. And that's, you know, and that's the end game of a lot of this, both in salary negotiation when you're getting a job and in a salary negotiation for a raise is sometimes you reach a dead end and yeah. it's, you know, the writing is on the wall. You're never going to get, maybe you'll get a tiny bit of more money out of it, mm-hmm. but it's never going to be what you deserve. It's never going to be what you want. And so you have to look for a new job. Yeah. You know, we're talking about everything as if like everything is equal yeah. and all people are equal um, you know, in the eyes of everybody and and there's no unconscious bias. And unfortunately, in in the world at large and especially in situations like salary negotiation, there's a lot of unconscious bias and sometimes conscious bias, too, yes. <laughs> um, especially towards women and especially towards people of color and especially, especially towards women of color. Yes. <laughs> um, let's first focus on on the potential conscious and unconscious bias against um, women in particular in salary negotiations. So we've written a lot of articles about this. There's been a lot of research about it. I always say that one of the most popular articles I've ever written in my six years at Fast Company was uh, the one word that men never see in their performance reviews. And you can bet that I got that (laughs) word in my very first performance review. So what's the word? Abrasive. <laughs> Abrasive. So that uh, that plays right into the unconscious uh, bias. And again, sometimes I think conscious bias that women would face in a salary negotiation. So yeah. when women demonstrate the same sort of traits that men are rewarded for, so assertiveness, confidence, when women are sure of themselves and sure of what they want and come in kind of in a um, no-nonsense, like, here's what I've done and here's why I deserve this, they are not rewarded in the same way that men are when they come into especially a salary negotiation saying, I've done a really great job this year. I have really knocked it out of the park. Here's everything that I've done. As you know, I'm the best at this and I've made these sales figures and I've done this. When they come in with like a list of their accomplishments, you know, kind of bragging, which you really need to do in well, yeah. these situations. <laughs> you know, you can't no, like, the way. You can't be like, oh, everybody else helped yeah. too. You know, yeah. when women come in like that, they are viewed as abrasive. They are viewed as pushy, pushy. They're viewed as as that (laughs) B word. Um, Yeah. And so, so there's a lot of advice on how women can approach negotiations differently. I don't really like to traffic in that sort of advice. No, neither do I. But I do think that sometimes you do have to be realistic. And I think that this is actually helpful for men as well, because I can bet you I'm like, I'm, I know, some of the advice that we think about kind of seeing as a mutual beneficial goal have come from men. So clearly it's not just a, yeah, it's not just like an advice for women. It's just that some of the things that maybe men can do in negotiations don't fare well for women. But when men employ the tactics that work for women, it works for them too. So some of those tactics are a little bit of like what we touched on already of, of approaching things in a more collaborative manner. Yes. Of, of saying like, here's what I've done for you here. How can we, come to an agreement where we can, you know, keep working together and keep doing this work and further this work and and approaching a negotiation not as a adversarial relationship, but as yeah. to like, how can we, we like come at this together and, and solve this problem together and let me help you and and that sort of 
oh, I hate to say like softer approach. Yeah, like I think that's definitely one that, you know, a lot of negotiation experts have told me worked as well is when you're presenting it as like by giving me this raise, the company is benefiting because it would allow me to deliver these benefits to these people in this team. And this is in accordance to the company's goal in this way, which I think is just a really good way to think about anyway, if you're working in a company, because then it also shows that you're not just thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about the company. And that's how companies measure whether or not you are worth giving a race to is what you can deliver to them. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other aspect that we we haven't mentioned of of bias and negotiation is that it's uh, perpetuates itself. So, yeah, I mean, there is a well-known gender pay gap and that starts it starts usually with your first job, but it it gets a lot worse yeah. <laughs> the, the further in, into your career that you get. There's the gap widens. And that's in part because like women, you know, are told that they don't negotiate as much, aren't taught about negotiation as much. And sometimes women don't negotiate as much or when they do, they're not as successful. Men will get higher salaries. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And then especially um, in states where this is still legal, if you're asked your salary history and your salary history was lower, then you're going to get a lower salary. So part of the way to combat that is exactly what we talked about of rather than saying, here's what my expectations are, here's what I've been paid before, or even here's what I currently make and I want this percent of, of a raise, if you're getting a 5% raise on a salary that's already $20,000 lower than your male counterparts, like you're still getting paid substantially less. So it's bringing up that market rate. And so st instead of saying, again, like instead of saying, I know that I'm getting paid less than all of the men here, which like oh, is so hard not to say. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, rather than saying that though it's that same sort of thing of like you know the market rate for this title is this i know our competitors are paying this rate like it's the job rather than the person even though in a lot of cases it's the person one of the things that i remember um, a negotiation um, expert have told me is one of the ways to find that market rate is to look for professional associations in your city so then it's not just about the market rate for you know, this role, you can be very specific and it's very hard for them to argue mm -hmm. when the source comes from like the professional yeah. association. And then we, we should talk too about the way that on a more institutional level, some of these things are getting fixed. Yes. And one is these laws that, that bar um, hiring managers from asking about your salary history. Yes. Um, that's in an effort to make people who, uh, people of color and women who have historically been paid less to not perpetuate that cycle. The other way is a is something that increasingly companies are are trying out, which is salary transparency. Yeah, there's either doing things like having uh, posted ranges for each job title, having salary floors for each job title, or the the kind of radical transparency of literally everybody's salary being public information. Yeah, and I think like one company that does this um, explicitly is the social media platform Buffer. Um, they have a blog which they publish about kind of how they run their company. So it's not just the salaries, they're transparent about a lot of things, but they have a very specific formula about how everyone gets paid and depending on where they live and how many years experience they have. So every single salary of every single Buffer employee and the formula is available and everyone can access that. Down from the CEO. Yeah, the too. CEO. You can see what the CEO gets paid. It takes negotiation off the table, really. 
I think there's a lot that people will not admit a lot of calculations that people will not admit oh, that they're doing in totally. their head. And and that's where I think historically, especially gender bias comes in. Well, yeah, I is, was going to say they probably don't admit it because it's probably not legal to do it. Well, and also like maybe they're not even aware that they're thinking this way, but I think especially with women and, and gender bias and negotiation, it's not only abrasiveness and, you know, not liking the way that, you know, thinking that women should act a certain way or speak a certain way or whatever. It's not only that bias, but it's long been the bias that women are not the primary breadwinners. Yes, and I their know. That's salaries, so frustrating. Their salaries are like pocket money or something. And I've, yeah. I've heard stories of, in not the too distant past, of women being told in salary negotiations, well, you have a husband. You know, you have a husband who... Earns the assumption is because there's a gender pay gap yeah. because men make more money on average is that if you're married you probably have a husband and he probably earns more money than you and therefore we don't need to pay you as much and if you're a man especially and then this is where you know things like the motherhood penalty and the fatherhood bonus come in if you're a man you're the you're the primary breadwinner it's you're supporting your family we need to give you more money because yeah. you're the head of the household which is obviously should go without saying is not true anymore, you know, in, in a lot of homes. Um, and is also obviously a really silly reason to pay a woman less than a man more. What has that got to do with how, what value I bring to the company? Exactly. But those sorts of (laughs) unconscious calculations, I think will happen in negotiations with, you know, with men and women doing similar things, bringing similar value. Yeah. Which is why it's best to stick to numbers. So, (laughs) Start writing down all your accomplishments and the results because you will need it when it comes to the time that you want to ask for a raise. This episode of Secrets of the Most Productive People is brought to you by Citrix. We're obsessed with staying sharp in our careers. So is Citrix. That's why Citrix is bringing you Productivity Confidential. These bonus episodes cover the latest insights into things like remote work, artificial intelligence, and workplace wellness to unlock creativity and productivity at your workplace. Find it wherever you find Secrets of the Most Productive People. Learn more at fastcompany.com slash Citrix. We've been kind of talking big picture. Let's address some listener questions on the exact sticky situations that you can get into in salary negotiations and what to say and what not to say and what to do and how to navigate those. We are here with Steve Robbins. Uh, he's an executive and leadership coach and the host of the productivity podcast, Get It Done Guy. So Steve is going to help us figure out some of the more sticky negotiation questions and, and issues that come up. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I want, I want to get into some of the case-specific questions that our, that our listeners have, have sent us. And the first one is, what do I say when they state a salary that's way below what I expect? So I think what that what that listener is asking is, say they had their walkaway number and you said, you know, their walkaway number is $100 and they say 50. We're going to offer you $50. It's way below what your like bottom floor was going to be. What what mm-hmm. do you say to that? How do you negotiate way up to what you want, which is $200? Right. Uh, you say $50. Hmm. I was expecting something in the two to $300 range. And then you just be quiet. And if they say, well, you know, we can't possibly pay that. You can say, okay, well, you know, what's the highest you can pay? And you let them answer or not. And then you decide if you're going to take it. And if they answer something over a hundred, you take it. And if they don't, you walk away. 
I mean, at the end of the day, the, the goal is not to get the job, by the way. The goal in a salary negotiation is to determine the terms on which you may choose to go work for the company. Because if they're not going to give you a salary that is befitting to the job and that is what you want to live on, you should say no and go interview somewhere else. If, if a company is offering you something that's half of your walkaway number, you have nothing to lose by doubling your walkaway number and offering that as the bottom of your range and seeing how far up they're willing to come. Because if you, if, you know, because if, if they don't budge, you're going to walk away anyway. So what are some of the, I think, I think you're probably very familiar with this. What are some of the, the common tactics that a company might use to try to lo- lowball on offers? So one of the big tactics that companies have is stating things as if they are somehow immutable fact. You know, well, the salary range doesn't include what you're asking for. That's interesting. It doesn't include what I'm asking for. Silence. <laughs> you know, let, let them think about that because, you know, the, 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 the vacation range doesn't include what they're asking for. They want me to, to take two weeks of vacation and my, the vacation, see, I have it written on a piece of paper right in front of me in my handwriting. So I know this is the real vacation range. And it says there on the real vacation range that I should get 10 months of vacation a year. And they go, well, you just wrote that. I'm like, yes, and you just wrote your salary bands. So when you walk in, you need to know what you need and want. And, and you need to decide if you're prepared to walk away. But if you're going into any negotiation, salary or otherwise, without knowing what the minimum acceptable deal is and without being prepared to walk away if you don't get it, then all tactics are off. Because at some point, you need to be willing to walk away if this isn't meeting your needs. Right. So our next listener question actually came from Twitter. Um, I think Trevor at Pantometry. So this is not with regards to uh, salary negotiation at the initial stage, but when you're already working at a company. So here's the question. Hi, quick questions. I was thinking how and when it's appropriate to negotiate a pay raise or salary increase without coming off as pushy. Mm. So there's a, wow, there's a couple of elements to this because the pushy part of of salaries and so this, so in this case you're talking about this question is talking about with your current boss or just with your current company I think with your current company and I think it's it's a question that that people have and, and you know I might be reading into this and this might not be what what Trevor's asking but I think a lot of people wonder like when is it appropriate to have that conversation like when can you have the raise conversation and you know what and how do you phrase it and and what do you need to to say or or have to prove your case for deserving a raise. Sure. Well, I would say this, that to prove your case for deserving a raise, you need to demonstrate that you're now producing more value than you did before. I, I mean, you're again, you're you're being paid for work. So, if you're being paid a hundred dollars to do ten units of work, and you want a raise, uh, you know why. If you, well, maybe I'm doing now 12 units of work, in which case you can go into your boss and say, you know what, I started off doing 10 units of work. I'm doing 12 units of work now. I'd like a raise. Or you, or instead of being quite so blunt of, I like a raise, you can say, you know, what do you can at your, like at a yearly review or a monthly review um, or quarterly review, depending upon how often you meet and have these kinds of conversations with you, but your boss, you can actually ask, you can say, you know, what would it take for me to get a 10% raise? And your boss will say something like, you need to assume more responsibility and do and fix these problems and do these additional things. And you can say, great, could we put together a development, a development plan for me to do that? And let's put a time frame on it and 
and let me know how we're going to measure it and I'll get it done and then go do it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really good advice of of putting the, the onus again, like back on the on the person with the with the power, the person holding the purse strings is to say, like, what do I need to do? And if you set out if if together you set out those those benchmarks for what you need to do, then that then you, the employee, are in the position in whatever the agreed upon time range is. So six months, a year to come back and say, see how I did all of these things that we agreed on. And hopefully you're right exceeded those expectations because i think that's a trap that a lot of people fall into is well i did my job like i did what is required of me and i did that well so i deserve a raise but i think raises and promotions especially hinge on the exceeding expectations everything you do you need to make sure is creating value for the company and i'm even go one step or a couple steps above and beyond that is pay attention to your boss and do things that are specifically help your boss and help your boss meet their goals. Because if they perceive you as an ally, and I don't mean doing it in kind of a sleazy nepotistic way, but just make sure that your boss looks good in your presence and they will notice that and they will want you around more. So they will probably be a little bit more sympathetic to what you're doing, but you want to be creating value for the company. You want to be creating value for your boss, both. And you want to make sure that they know that you're creating that. So track what you do. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, I think that's all of the questions that we have for you. Thanks uh, so much for joining us. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Right now, it's time to press pause and get your pen ready because you might want to write this down. How to have a successful salary negotiation. Number one, do your homework. Now, this might sound like an obvious tip, but without preparation, you have a very small chance of success. Look at salary guides from sites like Glassdoor and Payscale and make sure you take geography into account. Of course, the ideal step would be to find out what others with your position and levels of experience are earning in your company and figure out your number from there. But if that's not an option, make sure to reach out to industry associations in your city because they'll have an accurate idea of what a fair market rate would be. Number two, find your point of differentiation and focus on how that will benefit the company. If the company has provided you an offer, chances are they saw something in you that set you apart from other candidates. You can frame your negotiation by expressing how a higher salary can help you bring more value to the company and what you're excited to accomplish. That's likely to get a hiring manager on your side. Number three, don't forget other forms of compensation. Whether it be more vacations, conference budgets, transportation costs, think about what else you can ask to increase your overall compensation. After all, your salary is just one part of it. And if you're really stuck, don't forget to set a timeline and action steps of your hiring manager on the next steps that you should take to talk about when an appropriate time to ask for a raise, maybe. So that's all for this episode. We want to hear your career questions for future episodes. In the next episode, we'll be talking about how to get a promotion. Do you want to know how long you need to be in a job before you can ask for a promotion or how to even bring it up in the first place? Leave us a voicemail at 201-371-FAST. That's 201-371-3278. And we'll find an expert to answer your question. Again, that number is 201-371-3278. Or you could tweet your question with the hashtag FCMostProductive. If this episode was helpful to your job search, please let us know. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And you can follow Fast Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.